Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, the murder of Ashleen Murphy was a depraved act of violence that deprived a kind, talented, loved and admired young woman of her life and has since united the country in grief and support. And they were some of the words that were uttered yesterday by the Bishop of Meath, Tom Deenan, as the tight-knit and heartbroken local community gathered at the Church of St. Bridget's in Mambolis in County Offaly for young Ashleen's funeral uh, yesterday. And it was just one of those, if you can use the word beautiful, funeral, so poignant, so uh, heart uh, breaking. And I think, and I know Mary in Rathcool actually was one of the first to point this out to us uh, yesterday, at the just before the funeral mass began. Our own President Michael D. Higgins, uh, fought, along with his wife Sabina Higgins, were offering their condolences to Ashleen's family and they walked across the top of the church uh, to sympathise and to watch Michael D. Higgins and Sabina hug each of Ashleen's family members and really hug them tight. It almost felt as if our wonderful president and his wife were giving this family a hug from the entire nation. It is what all of us would want to do if we were in their presence and and with them. And you could see the family really hanging on to this very tight uh, embrace. It really was a heartbreaking scene, but we could feel so proud of our president and his wife watching at that moment. And Bishop uh, Deanahan also described the past few days as a nightmare. He said, a walk on a mild and sunny afternoon in January should be a happy event promising the brighter and warmer days of spring and summer. That, he says, as we know, was not the case. He said the crime has also asked questions of ourselves, of our society. It's questioned our attitudes and particularly our attitudes towards women as it's questioned our values and our morality. And he said whether those questions will be addressed or passed over now remains to be seen. But he said we can't allow such violence and disregard for both human life and bodily integrity take root in our time and in our culture and actually then his words were very closely echoed by one of the prayers of the faithful. The prayers of the faithful were recited by all of Ashleen's young uh, cousins and each and every one of them beautiful, beautiful young uh, women and one of Ashleen's cousins Rachel says we pray that the many vigils that took place in memory of Ashleen marked the beginning of an end to violence against women. May the candlelight tributes bring 
everlasting hope to all those who live in fear. And I thought that was, uh, you know, all of the prayers of the faithful were, were lovely, but I just thought that one reflecting very much what the Bishop had to say. And of course, if you'd watched Ashton's funeral or saw any of it on the news, if you're reading about it on the papers today, it was a funeral that was filled with the universal language of music, both in the church and in the nearby cemetery where her coffin was carried in for burial. And music was such a part of Ashley's life. And I heard some of her friends say that if this tragic murder had happened to anyone else in this country who was a Kiltis member and and people from Kiltis Cotoria, Ireland were asked to come forward, to step forward to play at the funeral or to come forward to play at any of the vigils Ashley would have been the first one out. She'd have brought her musical instrument and she'd have travelled anywhere to perform and it looked like so many people wanted to do the same thing uh, for her. And then it was actually at the cemetery and this was actually streamed if you were watching it online. Ashley's heartbroken boyfriend, Ryan, just, he spoke at the at the cemetery before her body was laid uh, to rest and he spoke about her as an incredibly loving and beautiful person and he spoke about you know how she loved her family and how she was always there for anyone always there great friend willing to always put herself last was always there to help out so many people and you know he spoke about the talents that she had and he he said she is the greatest love of my life and went on to talk about cherishing the last five years that they'd spent together and, and he ended a lot of the papers have, have this even on their front pages where he said goodbye for now but not forever darling Ashleen shall live on in all of our hearts. Absolutely uh, heartbreaking. And while I thought about the family this morning as they're waking up, you know, today now they have to start to try to rebuild their lives as best they can without Ashley, and their lives will never be the same again. And I suppose the one hope is that they'll get justice and that's something I think that's on the minds of uh, so many people. And a decision to either charge or release what is now the chief suspect in Ashley's murder. It's expected that the DPP could make that decision as early as today. The 31-year-old suspect still being questioned this morning about the murder. Specialist detectives have been brought in to do the uh, questioning and he was arrested at 11, about 11am yesterday morning at St James's Church in Dublin. And there's, the irony isn't lost that just as her funeral mass was taking place, he was being arrested at St James's Hospital. Is it, it is expected that he'll be seen by a GP in the Garda station in Tullamore during the course of his detention. And that obviously has to do with the injuries he sustained uh, last week. The suspect is a father to a number of young children and they who's been living in the County Offaly area for a number of uh, years and you think there's another family absolutely destroyed by this particular case if it turns out that he, he is the person responsible. Now Gardy had been alerted to his presence at the hospital after his arrival there I think it was last Thursday he uh, he presented himself to St James's Hospital but seemingly what had happened was officers had made an appeal to hospitals all over the country to contact them if they were suspicious about anybody presenting with 
injuries. And seemingly that's what happened. The staff at St. James got a bit suspicious, got a bit suspicious about what he was saying. They were looking at his injuries. They weren't tying in with what he was claimed to have happened to him. So they contacted the Gardaí in Tullamore. He was then put under what's called discreet surveillance by officers at the hospital. And then he was five days in hospital receiving treatment until he was finally discharged yesterday. And the Gardaí were waiting then to arrest him. And senior sources are saying that the Gardaí are satisfied with how the investigation is progressing. A huge amount of evidence has already been gathered in the case and they say it's progressing in a satisfactory level. And uh, Gardaí also believe that the guy, this, this suspect was in the Grand Canal area for a number of hours before Ashleen was uh, murdered but the killing is still very much being classed as a random attack and that's why the Gardaí in Tullamore are asking for anybody who spotted, you know, they've given a description of this guy who spotted anybody in the hours leading up to Ashleen's murder because as I say they do believe he was around uh, for quite some time. And an interesting piece written by Anne Murphy in The Examiner uh, today about the online sharing of information during a criminal investigation risks preventing an accused person getting a fair trial and it could also put the family of the person of interest at risk. Uh, Anne Murphy was talking with Garda Chief Superintendent John O'Brien who's a former Garda Chief Superintendent and we know that the Garda have issued a warning over sharing information on social media particularly in the investigation of Ashleen's uh, death. Uh, People According to John O'Brien, people should be able to express their horror at events such as the killing. But Mr O'Brien said the key thing is any information that's shared should not be information that could potentially prejudice the nature of a fair trial. He said you absolutely must keep that sacrosanct. He said that particularly relates to a jury trial as the jury must have an open a mind as is humanly uh, possible. And there is concern about a mat- material that's been spread online. A lot of it's going around in private um, messaging apps uh, regarding persons of interest in high profile cases and particularly uh, in this one. And of course, the big fear is that extremists ca- could target them and the relatives are their properties. So they're asking people to please desist from uh, sharing. But just lots and lots of photographs in the paper, some beautiful photographs that the family have shared of Ashton growing up and just and lots of columnches written about the late Ashleen uh, Murphy. She'll certainly never be forgotten, I think, in this country. Cork City Councillor Ken O'Flynn has written this week to the Minister for Justice, asking her to consider the introduction of pepper spray in Ireland, allowing women a tool to protect themselves. Joining me with his thoughts, Councillor Ken O'Flynn. Good morning, she Ken. Good morning, Patricia. And happy New Year to you. And many happy returns. Now, you've done a bit of research on, on this. Where is pepper spray available for defence? purposes in what other countries? Well, we're looking at Italy, France, uh, Germany, um, Portugal as well. Uh, there are some restrictions in some countries. I think Austria has it as well. Uh, Sweden has a banned. Uh, UK has a banned. Here it's banned as well, only for the use of Gardaí. Um, so, you know, you're talking about 50% of the European Union has it, has it banned. 50% has various restrictions. Some, some countries like Italy, you're talking for the age of 16, uh, like Austria, you would need a license to carry it. Uh, and uh, then, for instance, Portugal or Czechoslovakia, or sorry, Czech Republic, that'll tell you how old I am when I say Czechoslovakia. Um, uh, you, you you know, you can pick it up in your local shop and things like that. Uh, and equally in Spain as well, it is available. Um, quite readily available in Spain as well. Look, I, 
Well, would, you, would you worry about it getting into the wrong hands? Well, look, that's always the worry about anything that comes into the country or anything that's available in the country, isn't it? Um, look, my as, as you know, my, my partner is Spanish, my, my mother-in-law, my mother-in-law-to-be, uh, carries a can of mace, so does my two sister-in-laws in Spain. Um, thankfully, they've never had to use it. I've had a situation um, where I worked with a girl that did use it and was very glad of it and uh, escaped an attack because of it. So I've seen the benefits to carrying carrying mace. The studies I will show you in the United States, where it's legal in all in all in all states, is that mace seems to be used by um, as a defense mechanism. It doesn't seem to be used by by people that are attacking. Uh, so the, the 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 evidence is there that it does work. Look, I, I think Patricia, there's a bigger conversation to be had about women's protection in this country, and I know you've had it on your show and every other radio and TV show has discussed it over the last week or so because of the events. Um, we know it's education. We know it's uh, about understanding. We know about we know we know it's about finishing or closing off male toxic uh, toxic um, masculinity. I, I'm going to hit you with a couple of facts, though. You know, every two minutes in the European Union, there's a sex crime reported. Every two minutes in the European Union, and we know from various people speaking on your show, be Mary Crilly and other people, that we know that one out of three attacks aren't reported in this country. So I think those figures are staggering and a lot more frightening when we when we work it out or break it down. It's interesting you mentioned Mary Crilly because uh, Mairead, our, Mary Tuig, our news reporter, was out this morning and she met up with uh, Mary, Mary Crilly but she, and she knew we were, we were discussing this today. So she actually asked Mary how Mary felt about pepper spray and here's what Mary had to say. It is outrageous. I, 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 do you know, I mean, he can take his pepper spray and keep it in his home or keep it wherever he wants because I think that, again, that's victim blaming and again, that's not looking at the reality of rape. We're very few are raped by strangers. There's always somebody, you know. And again, why should the victim have to protect herself? Should that just be used on her? I mean, I think it's outrageous. And that was Mary and her response to... Look, to I but, I but, but isn't that is, is that not... Are you not adding to the narrative of victim blaming? No, because what is victim blaming? You know, the reality is that I'm trying to come up with situations. Look, rape is going to happen. Attacks on women are going to happen. Tomorrow, the next day, the next day, domestic violence is going to happen. If anything we've learned in history is that there is a long history of domestic violence in the world. There is a long history of violence against women in the world. That's the reality of it. It's all very well to say we need to go in a re-education, we educate people, we need to change people's think, uh, thinking. That's not going to protect somebody yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, but, but rather can and than women... And it's all very well for Mary, Mary Quilly to say that I can shove it where the sun doesn't shine or whatever. Well, she, she, didn't, she didn't quite say that, she said she can keep it at home. But instead of women needing to protect themselves, how do we stop the violence? What do we need to do to stop the violence? Look, I, I think, I think there's, there's, there's lots of approaches. I think we have to look at what that happened in California in 1983 with Proposition 8, which was the increase of jail sentences and the three strikes in your out uh, situation, which has seen a huge decrease in, in, in the United States during California with serious crime, believe it or believe it not, and that's been working since 1983. We need to take the best practices around the world. Yes, you're right in saying that Mary Quilly is right in saying, and I have great respect for Mary, by the way, because I think she does incredible work. And I'm sure um, she does I for you as well. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, I equally because quite well. Um, uh, I, I think it's it's not just an education about women's rights. It's not an education about LGBTQ rights because we've we've had people on the radios 
stations throughout the country talking about it's not just women are attacked or it's not just you know there are men that are vulnerable out there and there's there's transgender people that are vulnerable out there on the streets as well it's about human rights and it's about teaching human rights and that that can that can be very positive I think we are going to have a situation where we are going to have people that are mentally disturbed or have something lacking in their lives that are going to continue attacking. No matter how much education you give them, no matter how much reform you give them, there are people like that out there. I think we have to recognise that as well. And what I'm suggesting here is that arming people with, with, with self-defence. I've also written to the Minister, I think, I'm not sure if you have a copy of the letter, but asking her to make a fund available for self-defence for women. Look, I, I'm trying to play my part as a public rep. There are people that are contacting me, in particular in the last couple of days, that are worried about leaving their daughters going out for a run. They're worried about their kids going out down a shady lane where there's not enough lighting and where there's not CCTV. People are worried about their daughters. They're worried about their sons going out because of the recent violence. And they're now worried about them going and out in broad daylight when look with, with what happened to Ashley know, last, this it, day last you know, week. It, it, hit, it hit me the other, day, uh, the other day. I was driving home myself. And I, in Blarney, where we are, we have quite a, a dark laneway home. And there was this girl, I think she was about maybe 15, 16, and uh, jogging on the road. Uh, and I know she's one of my neighbours, and I'm, one of my pet hates is always that they don't have reflectors or flashlights. I think that I'm always giving a little about that, grumbling to myself about that. But, you know, it just hit me, you know, how vulnerable this individual is. How dangerous it is now, and how frightening it is to be a parent, or to be an uncle, or to be uh, a grandfather. Imagining that your grandchild, your your niece, your nephew, your, your daughter, your son, are going out on a run and could be possibly abused uh, or worse. I never come home. And I never come home. You, you, put your, you, you put your thoughts about the pepper spray up on Facebook. What, uh, what reaction did you get? Well, it's funny. The, the reaction was mixed. There was a lot of people saying that, look, it, it starts with education, which I agree with. It starts with education. It has to be changed. There was an awful lot of likes um, to it. There was a lot of men um, that objected to it. And I think uh, if you read Fergus Finlay yesterday on The Examiner, I think he made a very, very good uh, point about men and toxicity. Uh, and I think there's certain things that men have to understand as well when it comes to when it comes to women's rights and the protection of women. And, you know, I think there was one very, very bad point that stood out in my mind from all the comments that I read. I probably didn't read all of them because there's quite a few. But um, there was one lady that said, you know, this doesn't affect every man, but it could affect every woman. Mm. Mm. And I think that was, that was something that really registered with me. And I think there was some very valid points. Yeah, there, uh, and, I, and some of our listeners are just, while some are agreeing with you, others are fearful of it ending up in, in the wrong hands. Somebody said, can you imagine a situation outside in a nightclub if people were allowed to carry pepper spray? It would be mad. Somebody else says, of course, pepper spray would end up in the wrong hands. But I suppose you would say it's how you would set it. It wouldn't just well, be in the supermarket. I, I think they, in in Portugal and uh, Austria they have a right to license. It's about selling it to individuals that have a, have a real need for it. Um, look, my experience of it because I've had a personal experience with a friend having used it and having and having saved her. It was a very uh, positive experience of it, you know, or hearing about it. Look, this isn't the answer. I know that's not the answer. I think Mary Quilly and her campaign about education and about changing people's psyche is very, very important and shouldn't be shouldn't be doubted. 
And actually, well, when I, I had Mary, when I had Mary on the program on Monday, you know, she was referencing the fact that she's forty years involved in this type of uh, work on gender-based uh, violence. But she really felt at the weekend that it's almost like there's a tide. The tide is turning. Do you, get, is, do you get that sense? I, I think there was a switch turned on, you know, because I think it, what did hit the entire country was this could be my daughter, this could be my niece, this could be my granddaughter. And I, I think, you know, the fact that this girl was only going for a run has really hit all of us. Um, and it has changed our thinking and it has brought us to the fore, the form. A bit like the Veronica Guerin story. Uh, I, I don't know if you remember that. And Patricia, that led, was, yeah, was, and that, that led to big change. I mean, that, that, that led to CAB being yeah. set up. Yeah, Big change in legislation. Look, I'd be very hopeful that uh, our Minister of Education will introduce a human rights programme that would, that would start very early in life, teaching about respect for people's sexuality, for teaching about respect about gender, teaching about respect for religion and all walks of life. And I think that's what's needed. I think there has to be a lot more money put into research of why people attack. There has to be something put in to address male toxic, uh, masculine, toxic masculinity. That has to be done. We have to relook at how we're sentencing. We have to also check who we're leaving into the country. A lot of people are picking a up. A lot of people are picking up on the the sentencing uh, issue. And yeah. somebody else, like uh, William and Butterman, saying uh, the do-gooders have a lot to answer for. How many cases have we seen where somebody has come and has spoken up on behalf of the person who's been tried to say, "Oh, this is completely out of character. They're such decent people." And we've seen that in rape cases in the past, where Very much you so. know, where prominent members of the community have spoken up on behalf of... And not only that, Patricia, we've also seen a case that not too long ago where we had somebody that had come into this country who had done murder for his for his wife in, a, in another country and was never highlighted, spot-checked, put on any list. I think there's a big job for the European Union uh, that we should have a national sex offenders list that blends into the uh, European Sexual, yeah, sexual rather sexual. than a national one, have a European, think, have a European yes. one. A wor- it should be a worldwide one. Yeah, I also think that should be flagged for people that are involved in violent crimes, okay. such All as right. rape, such as murder of, right. your, of your spouse. Such All right. as, are you, have you heard back from the minister, by the way? I've had an acknowledgement from acknowledgement, the okay. All right, keep us keep us informed uh, if you, you get a more detailed response uh, from her. In the meantime, Ken, thank you for that. God bless Patricia. And uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That is Cork City uh, based councillor Ken O'Flynn. And a couple of minutes ago, I read out a text about somebody who's having a problem getting onto RIP.ie. I'm now inundated with people saying, I was about to text you with the very same question about RIP.ie. Haven't been able to access it since uh, Monday night. Somebody else says, it keeps saying, refresh the page. And, and But I don't know what to do. We just, re- just click on the, on the refresh button on the top. Somebody says having problems getting through to RIP.ie since uh, Saturday and lots more calls like that so there does seem to be some difficulty with the page we'll see if we can find out more for you 0818 103 103 Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie the Cork Commuter Coalition has launched a new report that says the restoration 
creation of rail services to West Cork would undo one of Ireland's biggest transport mistakes. Uh, joining me from the lobby group is uh, Kieran Mears, Mears, who I think we're having a problem. His uh, line has gone. Let's see if I can get uh, Kieran back again. He just, no, his line just went on us there. Okay, um, I'm going to have to uh, okay, just give me one. See if I can just put them in again. Here we go. Let's give me one more try to. This is where technology leads you down. Let's see if I can get on to Kieran. Uh, no, no, the number is ringing. Is he going to answer? Kieran, are you there? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kieran, my well, apologies. Sorry, the line just went down as we were about to go live. I was just explaining that you're with the Cork Commuter Coalition and you've launched a new report saying the restoration of rail services to West Cork would undo what you see was one of Ireland's biggest transport mistakes. So I suppose start by reminding listeners just how big was the West Cork rail network? So back from around the 1900s until the 1960s, West Cork had a fantastic rail infrastructure program. Uh, There were lines going from uh, Cork City to Kinsale to Skibbereen to Bandon, everywhere in West Cork. But unfortunately, these were torn up in the 1960s in what kind of proved to be one of the worst planning mistakes in certainly West Cork history, maybe even Irish history. And the decision and the reason why they were closed was what? Um, So they were deemed to be unprofitable at the time that Ireland was kind of shifting its focus to cars. Um, But of course, these lines, instead of being improved, instead of being made profitable, instead they were just cut. So at the time, there might have only been one or two rail services from West Cork to Cork City a day. And even then, it wasn't possible to transfer directly for a same day trip to Dublin because the time schedules didn't line up. So, of course, when you have even things like that, when you have scheduling problems, you know, um, instead of attempting to improve it, instead of trying to run more trains to make the system work better, they just decided to put a close to the entire thing, which, of course, was quite a shame. Yeah, and any time we talk about transport issues in West Cork, the amount of people that will bemoan the fact that there isn't a railway uh, network. Um, and has there been any reports, Kiron, into the potential reopening of any of these corridors since they closed in the early 60s? Unfortunately, there haven't been any reports, any investigations, any schemes on the behalf of the government into reopening any of these corridors, which really is a shame. Because like you said, people in West Cork do and regret the fact there is no rail infrastructure. But this could change in the near future, because right now the government is undergoing the All-Island Strategic Rail Review, which is taking a fresh look at areas in Ireland that don't have rail services. Places like Donegal and Navan would be the obvious candidates, but there isn't enough discussion around West Cork as one of these places that doesn't have rail. If enough people put submissions into this uh, rail review, then hopefully the government might take a proper look at West Cork and do a proper cost analysis, a proper uh, investigation and proper studies into this. Now, in your report, you're suggesting the, t- to look at three main corridors. Yes, going from Cork City to McCroom, to Bantry via Bandon, Clonakilty and Skibbereen, and to Kinsale via Carrigaline and Ringiskiddy. 
These would serve most of the main population yeah, areas yeah. in West Cork, as well as amenities such as Cork Airport and the Port of Cork as well. Would you envisage using any of the old infrastructure? And I don't know how much of the old infrastructure is still actually would could still be reusable. Well, one of the interesting things is that a lot of it, because it hasn't really been touched in the kind of intervening years, and because it was built to such a high standard by the Victorians back in the day, things like the Chapman Viaduct crossing over the Bandon Road and places like the Gogginsell Tunnel, which is Ireland's longest abandoned rail tunnel at just over a kilometre long, are actually deemed to be in quite good condition. So, of course, it would take a bit of work to upgrade these to proper rail standards once again, but the bones of it are there. But you, you have no idea on the potential cost. No. In our report, we look at a number of different corridors, look at different uh, ways of approaching this, and it's mostly um, us providing options on how to move forward. As such, we, it's a bit beyond our scope as a kind of community organisation to provide like a proper kind of cost on this. Yeah, listener says, hi Patricia, totally agree with uh, Kiron. It was the biggest mistake to rip up the railway lines and close it down. I actually hate seeing the viaduct because it's falling apart. I really do hope they regenerate the railway uh, line. The viaduct in uh, pub is also up for sale. Um, um, anyway sorry uh, but somebody 100% agreeing that uh, we need the railway line back and I can see other listeners as well uh, saying we've been told to get out of our cars and to use public transport this is a no brainer Exactly there are massive kind of environmental uh, consequences because of the lack of proper public transport infrastructure in West Cork And here's the thing, people really do want to use green infrastructure. They want to use public transport. But if there simply isn't any quality service nearby, then it's all a bit of a moot point telling people to take public transport, telling people to be green in their everyday lives, especially considering that transport is Ireland's second largest emission sector. You mentioned that the government is doing this All-Ireland Strategic Rail Review. Uh, The idea now is your report will feed into that, is it? Yes, we're submitting that to the um, submission process, which is uh, the consultation period is currently ongoing and it closes Friday at 5 p.m. So if anyone out there is listening and they want to see rail return to West Cork, I'd strongly urge you to make a proposal. It doesn't have to be long. It can just be a few sentences uh, saying that you would like rail to come back to West Cork. And do you think it'd be a huge benefit to the area if and when up and running? Absolutely. We see currently in East Cork where there are rail links to Cove, to Middleton, to Carrick Tool, and how these are great economic generators as well. They make the town more attractive to live in. They make the town better for business. It can even be used for things such as freight rail. And anything that takes cars off the road has got has absolutely got to be uh, welcomed as well. All right, uh, Kieran, thank exactly. you for thank you for that. Thank you for uh, joining us, and uh, well done on the report. It's been great. Thank you. Good morning to you. Bye bye. That is uh, Kieran Mayers, who is a member of the Cork Commuter Coalition.
with that report saying bring back rail services to West Cork. Your thoughts uh, welcomed on uh, that. Is it something you would very much see as a real positive if you're living in West Cork? Even if you're not living in West Cork, would you use a railway line if it was up and running, say, to go on day trips or if you were holidaying or needed to do business in the area? Your thoughts welcomed. Lots of thoughts coming in on this Cork Commuter Coalition and their most their report saying, suggesting that the West Cork railway line, three car Corridors in particular, they're suggesting should be uh, bring the railways back to uh, West Cork. Councillor Declan Hurley says, Hi Trish, delighted to see the West Cork rail reports. This really says, Councillor Declan Hurley is a no-brainer for West Cork and it really needs ser- con- serious consideration and support. He says, we can't waste this opportunity to have rail transport back in West Cork. Thanks for that, uh, Declan. Ken and Bandon says, I remember the Clonakilty Junction well. I'm in my mid-60s and I Fondly remembers the tra- I fondly remember the trains stopping and changing at Gagan. It was fantastic. Great excitement. We used to run up and down and watch all the activity. The day that they stopped was sad and very surreal, says Ken. Ethan Skibbereen says, my grandfather used to tell us stories of trains arriving into Baltimore. It was so interesting to hear the stories, but hard to imagine that we had trains coming this far down to West Cork into ba- Baltimore. I can't actually picture it myself today. Barry in Clonakilty says, I agree, it was the worst decision ever to close the railway line. So many people from West Cork have moved home during the last two years. If we had a proper rail infrastructure, they could continue to work from home, maybe commuting to the office two days a week. So while everyone shouts about going green, this would definitely should be on the green agenda. Why not prove it and give us back our railway uh, lines? And Johnny McCroom makes the point, if there was a decent railway line into a McCroom, it would saved a lot of the traffic congestion that people in McCroom have had to suffer over the last number of years and continue to suffer until the bypass is open. OK, I'll get to more. I can see more of those calls and texts coming in. Keep them coming. And we'll look at more of them after news at 11. Uh, when we also will be talking about the genetic blood condition, hemochromatosis. That and more after 11. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Court today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed on the West Cork Rail report that I spoke about in the last hour. This just says I want the railway back in West Cork. I am always saying it. Who do I contact? Uh, we're listening to Kieran Mayers of the Cork Commuter Coalition who've put this report together. They're feeding it into this All-Ireland Strategic Rail Review uh, which has, is open at the moment on a consultation period but it's actually finishing this coming Friday. So if you want to get your thoughts in and he's, as he said you can keep it as simple as you like just to say that you really think the area would benefit and uh, that you would really like to see a railway line back in West Cork and you simply email strategicrailreview.com so if you go onto that website strategicrailreview.com forward slash feedback you can give your feedback but as I say the input for the consultation period ends this Friday January the 21st so you need to get working on uh, that uh, Hi Patricia read, read the railway Big, big mistake not running a rail service to y'all. And that's coming in from Ross. Thank you for that, uh, Ross. Someone else says, uh, John in Blackpool, not too convinced, says, we'll be going to the moon 
before they open the West Cork railway line again. But it, isn't it interesting to note that they've never closed any of the rail corridors around Dublin or Meath and yet in uh, West Cork they lost all of their rail corridors. Now Michael in Bantry has a story that he remembers and he doesn't know if there's truth in this or if it's one of those things that was urban myth. He said at the time that the closure was proposed for the closure of the West Cork railway line a group of representatives from West Cork travelled up to Dublin. They were trying to fight to hang on to some of the railway lines. Now Michael says he's not sure at the time if it was politicians or a mixture of people from maybe local Chamber of Commerce, business interests. I'm sure politicians would have been involved in any, it sounds like a deputation going up to Dublin. Maybe councillors were involved as well. Anyway, Michael says the story that he heard locally was and he wants to know if this is true or not. When the group from West Cork who were going up there to lobby on behalf of the good people of West Cork. When they arrived in Dublin for the meeting, somebody said to them, how did you travel to Dublin? And they replied, oh, we came up by car. And the representatives who they were meeting said, we rest our case. And Michael says that the story goes, and whether this is an urban myth or not, I don't know. He says that was the death nail of the West Cork railway line. Can anybody confirm or deny that that actually happened. A group representing trying to go up to fight for it, but they all travelled up by car. I've, I haven't heard it before, so I don't know if it's true or uh, not. Brendan in Ballyhooley says, how very short-sighted were the politicians of the 1960s to close so many railway lines, not just the West Cork ones. All they did was isolate many rural villages and towns. They then put more trucks and cars on the roads and what has now happened, they've created more pollution. It would be very hard to reopen many of those old lines as many of them of course are now greenways such as in East Cork and they have been uh, they've been built over the years one in Formoy and others are used for agricultural production exactly the same happened in the UK with the beaching recommendations which decimated hundreds of railway lines I cannot see how the Irish rail system could easily be reinstated without a colossal amount of investment and that's the one thing in fairness to the Cork Commuter Coalition who've you know put a lot of work into this report they haven't they've just analysed the opportunities the difficulties and the solutions of bringing the railway lines back to uh, West Cork but they haven't gone into the cost side of it and I think the cost side of it will would be would certainly be the one uh, big one Elizabeth says Hi Patricia uh, totally agree with uh, Kiron who joined you for the on the West Cork rail report if East Cork had the railway option why do we not have it in West Cork? West Cork is the most beautiful part of the country, cut off from people that don't have transport. Also, the government keep blabbing on about leaving the car at home, so they should stop talking and act on it now, says Elizabeth, very much in favour of the West Cork railway line coming back. And then Michael, who is lives in Castletown Bear, so very much living in the area that we're talking about, says Patricia. Forget about railway lines to West Cork. It is not looking backwards we should be, but looking forward. It would cost billions in subsidies. It certainly would do a bit of business in the summer perhaps, but in the winter it wouldn't pay one person's wage to have those trains running. If anything, we should develop a network of airstrips on the peninsula. Not airports, but airstrips. Subsidise the commuter fares on those small planes instead of a 40 mile an hour train. 
Ukraine. We've got to remember this is 2022. It's forward we need to move, not backwards. Setting up new railway lines in West Cork would take us back into the 30s. Today, people and business move swiftly, says Michael. So wasting your time even considering railway lines. And his suggestion is so instead subsidised, put in airstrips and have kind of little small planes flying so there'd be regular flights from various different air strips heading to, I don't know, to Dublin, to Cork, uh, wherever. Uh, thank you for that. OK, that's just some of your thoughts coming in on railway lines. What else is coming into us on pepper spray? We spoke about pepper spray in the last hour because Councillor Ken O'Flynn has actually written to the Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, and is suggesting in light of the awful tragedy with Ashley Murphy last week that women need to be able to arm themselves. And he's suggesting pepper spray other countries women can legally go and buy a can of pepper spray but it's illegal in this country you can't even though we did have a listener last week when we started talking about Ashton saying that she goes nowhere she got a can of pepper spray from Germany where you can buy pepper spray and she goes nowhere even though it's illegal to have it and to use it but she said she doesn't care if it saves her life she's going to go around with her pepper spray Hi Patricia on pepper spray no way it does not deal with the problem there is a very good reason why custom officials take a very dim view of anybody carrying it on an aircraft in the wrong hands it can be extremely dangerous it does not solve the problem says that WhatsApp while Anne says Patricia pepper spray should be made available in this country but the name of the person purchasing it should be noticed should be noted as if it is, was used illegally the Gardaí could then go back and trace that person uh, yeah and I think that, that you know Kenneth Flynn just, I think, wants to get the debate going more than anything. And when he did some research and, you know, the fact that it's available in other countries, in other countries, in some countries, for example, you need to have a licence. It's a little bit like a gun licence. So it isn't just a case of that you'll be doing your shopping inside the supermarket and there's the can of mace, the pepper spray, and you just pop it into your trolley. That's not what he's talking about. So, yeah, there would have to be some kind of a system in place whereby they could keep track on who's actually buying the pepper spray just to make sure that it doesn't get into the wrong hands. But a couple of other people are making the point that was made earlier that if, you know, somebody was attacked and you pulled out your pepper spray, what if, you know, you weren't able to get, I don't know, the lid or I don't even know how pepper spray works. What if the person attacking you got the pepper spray from you and turned it on to the victim? You know, you can foresee all kinds of problems. Anyway, Anne uh, says she also watched the funeral yesterday. She said it was lovely, but so very, very sad. My heart goes out to the family. Uh, they're in shock at the moment and we'll be needing lots of people helping them in the coming months. God, how right and, you know, looking how right you are. Um, and But looking, certainly looking yesterday at the support and this outpouring of uh, support from all over the country, I think they will, certainly the local community will wrap them up and look after them and uh, protect them. And uh, but their lives will never ever be the same again. Hi, uh, Patricia. I think every girl should take up self defence classes after what happened in Tullamore last uh, week. Someone else says our president and Mrs Higgins did us proud yesterday. What a lovely couple. Their expression of sympathy was sincere and it was heartfelt on what was a very sad day, not just for Tullamore and Offaly, but indeed a very sad day for the entire uh, country. 
And Michael says, hi Patricia, I'm smiling for sure about the very notion of reinstating the West Cork railway line. The guy on the news wants to run it parallel to the motorways. Anyone telling me where I can find a motorway in West Cork? It would be a fantastic idea to restore at least some of the lines to West Cork for sure. And that's from Michael. Yeah, and the proposal that the Cork Commuter Coalition and, and their report is three main corridors, Cork to McCroom and then Cork Band in Clonakilty and then it would go on to Skibbereen and Bantry and then the other one will be Cork Passage West and on into uh, Kinsale. So they're the kind of the three routes. They're not looking at bringing back all of the now defunct railway uh, line. Hi, this is from Baz in Bantry. Good morning to you, Baz. Related Happy New Year to you and uh, many happy returns, Baz. I often heard my late father, who was born in 1914, talking about the railway line in Bantry. The business with the representatives apparently did travel up to Dublin and that was enough for the powers that be at that time. So they did travel up by car and when they said, how did you travel? We came by car. However, they were going in to see, I'm assuming the Department of Transport at the time said, there, I rest my case. Okay, thank you for that, Baz, and hope you are keeping well. Now, a couple of things to announce. Bandon Tractor truck vintage cars and jeeps they're having a run that is going to take place this coming Sunday with registration at 11am at Bandon Mart and then they're hoping to get underway at 1 o'clock in the afternoon and it's in aid of St Peter's Church Development Fund Bandon Area Special Children it's a group called BASC as a BSC and also of course it will go to the Cork Down Syndrome Centre uh, entry is 20 euro and if anybody wants to take part abandoned tractor truck vintage cars and jeeps so they're covering all kinds of vintage uh, vehicles there oh, OK and then on RIP.ie that got kicked off by somebody say, kicked off this morning by a listener saying could we ask because this listener was having problems getting through the last couple of days it keeps saying refreshing she's refreshing but nothing is happening and then we got a flood of texts and calls in from right across the city and county people saying yeah having tr- trouble getting through with the last week or so and here's Mary that might have a reason behind it uh, Patricia with regard to RIP.ie like so many of your listeners this morning I've been having the same difficulty getting onto their page but I did see on the late Ashleen Murphy's death notice page you know where the condolences were being added they were being added at 200 at a time so I imagine with that large volume of condolence messages coming in the site must be overwhelmed and I think you've hit the nail on the head Mary because looking back at the texts that are coming in from people it seems to be since around Thursday and Friday of last week when Ashley's death notice would have gone up that people are saying and particularly over the weekend her death notice was up people are starting to have uh, difficulty and remember when you do add a condolence on rip.ie each condolence has to be proofread before it actually goes up on the site. So I'm assuming the site has just literally got overwhelmed. So it should ease off within the next uh, couple of days. But just to let people know, because I think a lot of people, when something happens like that, when you're trying to access a page and you can't get through to it, you're always thinking, is it your phone? Is it your tablet? Is it your computer? But it's not, because a whole host of people having the same difficulties. Thank you for that, uh, Mary, to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. Chandra Park Hotel are holding a recruitment evening. Now it's happening Friday of this week from 4 in the afternoon until 9pm. Full and part-time positions are available across their full team. 
Full details of vacancies are available on our C103 website. Don't forget to take your CV along with you when you go on Friday. A working site foreman and a general labourer for power washing, painting, snagging, etc. Both wanted for the North Cork area, 085 2411333. Foley's Food Store in Ballydehine in Mallow. They're looking for an experienced deli assistant. Please apply with your uh, CV to Ilona at live.ie or you can drop your CV into the store. And the Hibernian Hotel in Mallow, they've got vacancies for pastry chefs, chef de partie and kitchen assistants. Marcus is your contact at 022 022 You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. People with a genetic blood condition, more common in Ireland than anywhere else in the world, have been experiencing increased difficulties in accessing treatment during the pandemic. That's according to the Irish Hemochromatosis Association. Association. Joining me is the chairman of the IHA, and that is Morris Manning. Good morning, Jim Morris. Good morning, Patricia. You're welcome to the programme. Now, until this condition affects a family member, a lot of people will never have heard about it. So, can you just start by explaining to people what hemochromatosis is? Yeah, um, I put it, I'm not a medical doctor, Patricia, so I put it in simple terms. Hemochromatosis means you have too much iron in your blood. You know, a lot of people take uh, cornflakes or things with iron additives to give them more iron. But hemochromatosis is the opposite. You have too much iron. The iron then begins to crystallize within your system. It will form at the joints and it will give you very bad pains in your joints. Or more important, it will start gathering in your liver where a person who has never had a drink in their life can end up with cirrhosis of the liver uh, or it, it can gather in little spots, little bits in your heart and people will get heart congestion. So the iron really gathers in your system. You don't know what's happening. It's on a very sort of incremental basis. There are symptoms, uh, you know, tiredness, crankiness, uh, well, maybe crankiness isn't necessarily confined to hemochromatosis, but you're down and um, you're not feeling well. And all you have to do is get a blood test. And that blood test will tell you if you have iron, it's called ferritin, how much ferritin you have in your blood. And, you know, that can be then treated accordingly to how serious it was. In my own case, my doctor became suspicious. I had a great GP and he sent me in and discovered I had about 4,000 units of it in my system. But that's a, I was always, if I went near a magnet, it might grab me. And, uh, it, it, and, for, it, and four th- you had 4,000. And wh- that, what, yeah. what is the normal level? 100. <sighs> so you see, uh, so uh, like my, my liver was being damaged and all of this. But the important thing is, for most people, it's treated in a way that has been treated for hundreds of years. You give blood. And I went on a crash course where I was going out to the local hospital here in Dublin, uh, out to Vincent's, uh, every fortnight to give a pint of blood. Uh, or 
And that went on for about four or five years. And gradually, the amount of burden dropped and dropped and dropped. And for the last few years, I'm at about 100. I'm perfect. I mean, at least in that sense. That, uh, it, 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 so, so, I mean, our concern, uh, Patricia, is that enough people don't know about yeah, it. Yeah, that's it. it. And it's known, it's, yeah, it's known as um, the Celtic condition. I've heard it referred to as the Celtic curse as well. Why does it affect so many of us Irish people? That is a bit of a mystery. It's very strong among Irish people in Boston, say, and where large numbers of Irish congregated, it, it tends to be higher. There's a lot of research. They haven't come to any conclusions yet. It may be something about our diet or something. Uh, but, but it's hereditary. That's the important thing, that you get it from your parents. Like, you know, you're, I'm sure my father was a carrier. His father might have had it, but they wouldn't have known about it. Or mother. It comes down on both sides. And when your GP started to get suspicious, had you ever heard of hemochromatosis before that? No, yeah. no, I didn't. It was, a, it was a name I had to put my tongue around because there used to be an ad about it being a queer name, but it's great stuff. And it was a, a strange sort of a name. But, uh, but it simply means uh, hemo is blood and chromatosis is iron. Mm. And then, of course, once you get a diagnosis, the normal suggestion is that if you've got any siblings, they should also get tested. Absolutely. Uh, It's vital. And you see, some people are afraid to get tests because insurance companies could then refuse them insurance, which is totally wrong. And I think that that is being tackled now and that will be removed. It may even have been removed. And the treatment, as you say, is, is a simple one. You just have blood uh, taken. So explain what, what are the problems that have arisen during the pandemic? Well, the state has always been very slow to take this seriously enough. It's one of those illnesses which can be tackled at no great cost. And what's happening at the moment is that in some hospitals, people have to pay 18 euro to go and give blood. Now, that, for an awful lot of people, could be 280 euros a month, is a huge charge. And our view is that it should be part of the regular health service and done for free, as it does in many many of the hospitals. We're also very conscious that GPs have a huge part to play here. Now, I know that GPs are utterly overworked at the present time, And there is a scheme coming in, or there is a scheme now where GPs will be paid for doing this. But but we're not happy that there has been a sufficiently big uptake of this by the GPs, and we would appeal to GPs to take this as a matter of public health and, and to take it very seriously. And there was a time, and I remember we did some interviews on it, where if you were diagnosed with hemochromatosis, you couldn't donate blood to the Blood Transfusion Service Board, which I always thought was ludicrous, because if you've got this wonderful blood that's full of iron, I would have thought, surely the Blood Transfusion Service Board would, would be delighted with it. But then a couple of years ago, they changed the rules and somebody with hemochromatosis can now donate blood. Yes. Um, and I... I it seems to me to be a small issue that should be very easily sorted out. The blood, trans- the blood service are saying at present they will only accept it from a donor. So, for example, if, if I give blood, the hospital can send, send it on 
to the uh, flood surface where they can put it into their system. They can only do that if I go along as a donor and give it. Now, I think I, I'm not into the details of it, but it's one of these issues where people need to sit down and just sort it out because that blood is perfectly good and there's a shortage of blood. We're importing blood at the present time and it should be going straight into the system. Yeah, I just think ludicrous. I mean, we spoke about this at the, at the start of the year, how for, I think it was the second time that the, the blood service had to go to the UK and, and import the blood. And yet yeah. we've got people with hemochromatosis and, yeah. and I'm assuming what their blood has been poured down the sink. It just, it just makes no sense at all. By the way, Morris, is it included as a long, on the long-term illness list? No, I'm not certain about that. Uh, it, it certainly can't be if people have to pay in a hospital yeah, yeah. to give blood. It can't be. Uh, it isn't. And it should be. Like, we're very critical of the departments and of the HSB on this. We've got some help. Colm Henry, whom everyone knows, gave us a, a great lot of recognition and help in the early stages. But it's on the back list. And, you know, we asked the minister Months ago, would he nominate one person who would liaise with us from within so we weren't going to a different person every time? She promised us. It still hasn't happened. I've been on. We've been on. Now, it's small things like this where you wonder what the blazes is happening, why, why they can't do some of the things that, are, that cost nothing and are obviously helpful. And particularly when it's so common and so many people have yes. been diagnosed and, and will be diagnosed, let's be honest. Yes. And the, the other thing, uh, Patricia, is awareness. I mean, our founder, Margaret Mullet, who was a wonderful, wonderful woman, I mean, she organised to go along to ploughing championships to public events uh, at her own cost very often to try to make people aware of hemochromatosis because a lot of people simply don't know and they can be suffering from it. Yeah, I mean, is this where the HSE could, could maybe get involved? Do we need some kind of an awareness campaign? We do, yeah. very much. Uh, now, the HSE uh, happened. I mean, we've had to go around putting in leaflets in chemist shops, in GP surgeries and so on to make people aware. And this is something that they should. We do need an overall hemochromatosis strategy. All of the parts of it are there waiting to be pulled together, and it needs a lead from government, which has not been happening. Mary Harney was a great minister, gave us a lot of help in the early stages, but we've had very little luck with ministers since then in getting their attention. And there are so little they have to do, and so much good could come from it. Okay, a couple of questions. You know, the listener says, when you go to get a blood test, would it show up on a normal blood test? Yes. I, I'm feeling very tired of late, but I've had my blood done and my doctor said I'm fine. Does it show up on just the normal bloods that you get done at your doctor's? Well, Patricia, as I said at the beginning, I'm not a medic. Okay, but all right. What you, what you do is you ask for the ferritin, F-E-R-R-A-T-I-N, the and ferritin. And see what, they're, and, see what the levels and are. that comes up. It, it's on every, yep, that's it. It's as simple as that. Yeah, and another listener says, um, I, like Morris, had a really good GP. I was feeling very tired. I started taking really good tonics that were full of iron. I was only making the situation worse. It was only my doctor copped uh, and got suspicious that it could be hemochromatosis and then well, I was well, diagnosed. That's, that's a very good point, Patricia, because one of the things when we did our report for Mary Harney, we pointed this out, that, you know, people were advertising things with iron in them 
And that was the very last thing if you had to deal with comatosis. But if you didn't know you had to deal with comatosis, you were feeling down and you were taking this stuff, which was just feeding your disease. Yeah, yeah, thinking it was going to make you better. Anne, yeah. Anne wants to know, could it, if you eat too much red meat, would that be part of the cause? Uh, it, it certainly wouldn't be part of the cause. Uh, now, again, I'm not a doctor, but it wouldn't be part of the cause, but it mightn't. It, it, it might be the best thing to be doing. Do you do you restrict what you eat from an iron point of view? Uh, yeah, I, I I do. I mean, once I got my blood levels down, you know, there are certain things. I have diabetes as well, so I, I I'm careful. I try to stay away from sweet things and things with sugar in them and all of that. But um, I, I've been very lucky, Patricia. I, I've had a very good recovery. I think if people are in the recovery phase, then they need to be extraordinarily careful about what they eat. Yeah, yeah, and you certainly avoid any tonic that has iron in it, and you can get tonics yeah. that doesn't have uh, iron. All right, Mars, and people can find out more about hemochromatosis. You have an association, the IHA? The Irish Hemochromatosis Association is on the website. Uh, Miriam Ford is our director, and she is always available, and she's wonderfully helpful and very knowledgeable. So you've just contact Miriam if okay. you have any queries. OK, listen, pleasure to talk to you. Stay safe, look after yourself and thank you for joining us on the programme. Thanks, Patricia. Thanks Good morning to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is uh, Morris Manning, who is the chair of the Irish Hemochromatosis Association. And somebody said, is that Morris Manning who's a former senator? Yes, it is. It's one and uh, the same. You can call John Paul 0818103103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Now, as many listeners to this programme will know, I have a deafblind daughter, Marsha, who is the light of our lives. And since coming into our world, we have received great support and advice from the Anne Sullivan Foundation in Dublin, who work with and support people people who live with deaf blindness. Well, the literacy officer at the Anne Sullivan Centre joins me with a request for help from people who are good at crafts here in Cork. And uh, Sorka Nallan uh, joins me with more information. Good morning to you, Sorka. Hi, Patricia. Uh, Thanks for having me. Well, you're very welcome to the programme. You're trying to make tactile books for deaf blind children. Isn't That's what the concept yeah. is. Can you, yeah, can, you ex- right. can you explain that to people, please? Yeah, so the aim of the project is to decrease inequality and increase um, personal development, communication um, amongst children who are deafblind by creating these accessible books. So you or I, when we were kids, would go to the library or even at school, we could have numerous amounts of books to choose from. But a child who's deafblind might only have very limited amounts. And obviously, a child, every child should have the same opportunities as their peers. So we really want to um, allow children who are deafblind to access the same material, to be able to have that experience of reading a book with their parents or their siblings, their teachers or their carers, um, in whatever form that they take um, communication or literacy from. And is it aimed at young children or have you a particular age group in mind? So the books um, uh, we're making are for children we support in special schools all over Ireland. So they're between the ages of 5 and 12. That's the age group we're um, uh, targeting here. And the groups of people that we want to help create the books, um, we're targeting kind of TY students or groups 
simply because they have the most time to dedicate. But any sort of group is welcome to participate and help us. We'll be grateful for any help we can get. Like we would have lost a lot of uh, people, obviously very good at sewing and crafts. And we would have a lot of craft um, little clubs that got together. I'm not saying it's not men, there could be men involved as well. They're mainly women. I'm also thinking groups like the ICA. They can be really good with their hands yeah, when it comes yeah. to th- sewing and stuff. Absolutely. Any sort of crafty person is welcome to get involved. And do you provide resources and training? Yeah. So what we do is we provide a, just a really simple introduction into deaf blindness, what it is and why the project is needed. And then I'll explain how to adapt the book. So that training takes about 40 minutes. It's not long. And we'll be on hand to provide guidance or any ideas. And we can provide um, resources like uh, craft supplies and whatnot if um, any of the groups need it. And can you do that training online? Yeah, we provide that training online over Zoom. And have you managed to get some people already involved? Yes, we have. Um, We've had groups from all over um, Ireland, from all walks of life. Um, Cork is one of the areas that we do need groups. We have two schools that we want to provide these books for. Um, So, yeah, Cork is definitely an area we're targeting and would love to get any help from. Can an individual contact you? Yeah, they can if they're interested in it, absolutely. Okay, and does it take long to create a book from start to finish? No, it doesn't. You can take it as slow or as fast as you want. Um, you know, you could, you could, in theory, get a book done in a week if you have the time to dedicate to it. Um, but you can take, we, we're hoping to wrap the project up in April. So, like I say, you can go as fast or as slow as you want with the project. And is, is it all sewing? No, it's no. not all sewing. So, um, you know, that could be part of it. A lot of the books, we would add a tactile element to it um, through different fabrics or materials. But deaf blindness doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have any vision at all. For a lot of people, they do have some vision. Um, so it could be pictures. Um, some deaf people use pictures to communicate and um, are, are large font words. Um, so it's not just, um, you know, sewing or um, fabrics. Yeah. And there's a number of different ways you can go about it. Okay, and the the good thing is you will provide the resources that the person needs or the group yeah. needs to to put these books uh, together. Yeah. And is it true that I read you got the funding from the Toy Show Appeal? Yes, yes. So we were one of the lucky recipients of the uh, Toy Show Appeal from 2020. So there was 55 organisations picked, so we were one of them. Um, so it's a year-long project. And Fantastic. so, yeah, we're hoping to have a big impact and yeah, to bring well, more awareness. Well, I, I smiled when I saw that because I think so many of us w- sat down and watched the Late Late Toy Show over the last couple of years from when they started this fund and we donate to it. And you yeah. said you, it's a feel good factor on the night you do it. But to actually see where the donations go in action, I think is fantastic. Yeah, it's been a really great opportunity to be able to do this and the feedback we've gotten from the special schools so far that have received books has been really positive. They've said that these books are really helpful for everybody in the class, not just the children who are deafblind. So that's really nice to hear that the impact is going to everybody. Okay, how can you be contacted, Sorka? So you can contact me. I'll give my number here. Um, 087-746-2472.
Um, but you could also check out the Anne Sullivan website. So that's Anne with an E. So www.annesullivan.ie. And all the information about the project is under our news section if anybody wants more information there. Okay, we wish you luck with it and uh, pass on uh, my, my best regards to Deirdre Leach, who's uh, Marsha's outreach I worker will. with the Anne Sullivan. She's a great woman, mighty woman. Listen, Sorka, good luck with it. And thanks, uh, thanks, thanks a million for joining us. Uh, bye bye, Sorka and Alan there, uh, the literacy officer at the Anne Sullivan Foundation. So if there's anybody out there, anyway, and I know a lot of our listeners are really good with a needle and thread and knitting and craft people uh, because we get some wonderful examples of crafts sent into us here. So if you'd got a little bit of time on your hands and you'd like to help out deafblind uh, children in making these little books as I say they will provide you with all the resources and the training that you need please please make contact with uh, either Sorka directly or get on to annesullivan.ie Now there seems to be a little bit of breaking news and this is to do with a bonus payment for people who worked during the pandemic that we know has been spoken about at government level for quite some time seemingly public healthcare workers who served on site in a clinical COVID-19 exposed environment during the course of the pandemic, they are the ones to receive this pandemic bonus. It's going to be a one-off payment. It'll be a €1,000 tax-free. And seemingly that plan was passed the Cabinet. We know the Cabinet met this morning and seemingly it was passed at the Cabinet meeting this morning. Now, healthcare workers, so that's people who worked in a clinical COVID-19 exposed environment. So you're talking about the people who are really at the cold face of it, the people that would have been, I'm assuming, in the ICUs and the high dependency wards. Now, will that extend out onto nurses who were on general wards where they might have had a COVID-19 outbreak. I don't know. Only time will tell. Healthcare workers in nursing homes and hospices are also going to be included. Now that's good to hear because a lot of them were certainly working at the cold face of uh, COVID-19 exposure. Uh, So we're waiting for, the devil now is going to be in the detail, we're waiting on more detail on that because it seems the Minister for Public Expenditure, Michael McGrath, along with the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, they're expected to bring a detailed plan once the Cabinet, or to give a more detailed plan once the Cabinet has uh, concluded. Now, it was last September, we've been talking about it that long, that the Thornish study of Radker, speaking in the Dáil, said it was his strong view that some kind of a bonus payment, they also looked, and I'm assuming they looked in, in more detail in, into this, extra leave he had said if they don't give a bonus payment they were saying what about giving extra leave but at the time Leo Radker said it should only be limited to frontline workers in the health service and it's looking like that's exactly what they're going down through now obviously extra leave would have created lots of complications and problems for hospitals and nursing homes and hospices who are already struggling for staff and to get staff in to work the hours. So it looks like they've decided the easiest way is to give this bonus payment of €1,000. But it does mean that other people who feel and have felt that they were frontline workers are excluded from this. It is. It literally is limited to people who worked in the cold face of the pandemic. And it looks like also what was got to, what discussed at the cabinet meeting this morning is the bank holidays. There, it's understood that an additional bank holiday and a national commemorative event in remembrance of people who lost lives during the COVID nineteen pandemic that's going to take place as had been rumoured on the eighteenth of March. St. Patrick's Day falls on the 17th, which is a Thursday. So we'll have a double bank holiday 
we're, we'll be off on the Thursday, but it also looks like the Friday is going to be a bank holiday. That will be a one-off uh, bank holiday. And then there is the talk of the a new annual public holiday, which will start next year, 2023, at the start of February to mark St. Bridget's Day. And the aim of all of the packet of me- measures is to recognise the efforts of the general public and Ireland's frontline workers, hence the reason that they're going to have the extra bank holiday as well. But it is only going to be frontline workers in the health service who served on site in a clinical COVID-19 exposed environment who will be getting this one-off tax-free payment of €1,000. Your thoughts welcomed on that, please, to 0818103103. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862103103. Let's take a break. We have news at... 12 midday on the way. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And I kind of guessed uh, when I mentioned that breaking news story about the public health care workers who served on a clinical COVID-19 exposed environment will be receiving this one off €1,000 tax-free payment. This is the pandemic bonus that the Cabinet has been talking about for quite uh, some time. Uh, we've had a flurry of texts in from people who are not happy to hear that it's only going to be for the healthcare workers in a clinical COVID-19 exposed environment. Lots of people saying, will that one-off payment include all health workers? What about home helps? I can see lots of home helps contacting us this morning. Now certainly looking at what's been released so far, no mention at all of home helps uh, in what's, what's coming out now from the Cabinet. We are awaiting more detail on the plan uh, because the Cabinet meeting is still ongoing. So this obviously has been leaked from the Cabinet meeting and we're expecting Michael McGrath, obviously Minister for Public Expenditure, and it will fall in under the remit of the Health Minister as well, Stephen Donnelly. They'll be giving more detail of the plan once the Cabinet meeting has concluded. But it does tie in with what Leo Varadkar mentioned in the Dáil last September when he was specifically asked about bonus payments and he reckoned at that stage it should be let to frontline workers. Uh, he was saying frontline workers in the health service, so they've narrowed it down even further. It's just the frontline workers who worked at the cold face of COVID-19. But as I say, a number of other health workers and especially home helps have contacted us uh, following me mentioning it and really not happy at all. And then someone else, again, this is like what is a frontline worker? It's something that we have discussed many, many times on this programme. Sorry now, says this uh, texter. But I worked in a supermarket uh, during the first lockdown. I was there every single day uh, cleaning. Then a few months later, I had no job. Will I be getting that €1,000 bonus payment? Am I not worth anything to the government? They got my tax and now I'm getting nothing for putting my life at risk. And I think a number of people who worked in retail will say they were frontline workers, they were at the cold face. You will have people like bus drivers, uh, people who worked on uh, trains, people who worked in pharmacies, people who worked in GP practices. Lots of people will say that they were frontline workers, but certainly for this pandemic bonus payment, it looks like it is going to be limited. And I don't know what the numbers are then, how many people 
And how will they actually work out? Is it just going to be people who worked on certain wards in hospital, like the COVID, if there was a COVID-19 ward, or people who worked in the ICU, or people who worked in the high dependency? What about you could have had nurses working on wards and then COVID-19 broke out? Or, and and we, we know that we've had people, nurses going to work who would have nursed someone not realising that they were COVID-19 and picked up COVID-19 themselves. And somebody says, what about nursing homes? Yeah, no, no, nursing homes have been mentioned. Uh, healthcare workers in nursing homes and hospices will also be included. But again, I'm assuming the devil is going to be in the detail. I'm assuming the healthcare workers in nursing homes and in hospices will have to be those that have worked in COVID-19 exposed environment. Because again, while a lot of nursing homes certainly had COVID-19 outbreaks. Not all nursing homes did. So are we saying it's just going to be the ones that had outbreaks and it's just going to be the nurses that worked with the patients who were COVID-19? Let's uh, wait and see uh, what's been leaked so far. It's looking like it's not going to be a huge number of people and it's certainly not going to be right across all healthcare workers which I think is going to be a big disappointment to a lot of healthcare workers who feel that they put their lives at risk every single day going into work because they never know or they never knew and still today they don't know when they're nursing somebody if that person is COVID-19 or not and likewise anyone dealing with the public like that retail worker the person working in the supermarket will say the very same thing they don't know on any one day when they're dealing with members of the public if that person is exposing them to COVID-19 or not. Mike, as a side, Patricia, I wonder how will the healthcare bonus apply to nursing homes and community hospitals? I can foresee a real problem there. If it's clinical working with COVID patients, those settings where COVID-19 became rampant will benefit, where in settings where it was kept completely out, they could lose out, says Michael. Yeah, that would be my thought on it as well, particularly on the wording that it's just for people on site in a clinical COVID-19 exposed in environment. I can, yeah. <sighs> this isn't going to be the simplest thing and, you know, the Cabinet are trying to do their best. Um, they're trying to say, look, we want to recognise uh, people who went above and beyond during COVID-19 but you wonder, is this going to create and cause more arguments now that it has been announced, only time will tell. Thank you for your thoughts on uh, that. There's still more coming in. There is. Hi, Patricia. Healthcare workers will be more exposed to COVID-19 as they're dealing with bodily fluids and close aerosol infections, says Geraldine. So would you say, are you saying from that, uh, Geraldine, that all healthcare workers, regardless whether they were nursing COVID-19 patients or not, but then, like with the number of home helps have contacted us, they also were very up close and personal with a number of people. Someone said it's an absolute disgrace. Anyone who worked during the lockdown should be getting this €1,000 benefit, says uh, a texter. Someone else says, what about the people in shops and in production in factories? I worked all throughout the pandemic with elderly parents and young children and grandchildren at home and I put them in danger every single day that I went out to work only to get a tax bill at the end of it. What a joke. P.S. My job is in a meat factory and God knows there was a lot of outbreaks in meat factories for sure. Uh, Hi uh, Patricia. I cannot believe 
that what they have just announced is going to come to pass. It really is a crazy situation. This is going to cause so much anger and division amongst workers. Yeah, and that would be my big, big fear. 0818103103. Now, just on other issues coming into us, the listener wants me to please mention this and they've, they've WhatsApped it in again. I wasn't ignoring the text. I just didn't get a chance to get around, around to it. Say, Patricia, will you please highlight the crossing in Mill Street town? I feel that this crossing uh, is literally an accident waiting to happen. And why can they not make it like the one in McCroom and put traffic lights on this? I'm assuming it's a pedestrian crossing on the main street in Mill Street. I saw a woman just this morning narrowly escape. She could have been knocked down. Other people in Mill Street, would they agree that the pedestrian crossing there is dangerous and it actually needs traffic lights that will force the traffic to stop allowing people to cross. So let's give it out there and see do others agree. People living in Mill Street or people who pass through Mill Street, have you noticed that the crossing is a tad on the dangerous side? This listener is fearful that somebody could actually be killed. We spoke about the West Cork Rail Report that has been submitted now to the All-Ireland Strategic Rail Review, which has been run by the government. But this is from the Cork Commuter Coalition, who feels that they... they report looks at three main corridors that they reckon the railway line should come back to in West Cork. Somebody says, Patricia, on the railway, there was an article back in 2007, it was in the Irish Times, and they looked at the cost of reopening 10 kilometres, a single track running from Cork to Middleton. The cost at the time, back in 2007, so you're talking a good number of years ago, it was £130 million. Considering the Cork, Bandon and South Coast Railway ran for 151 kilometres, according to that art, according to an article on Wikipedia, somebody then has gone and done the maths. If you base it on the 2007 figures, which obviously could be well underestimating the cost because everything's gone up since 2007. But just basing it on what the 10 kilometre single track Cork to Middleton cost, the figure, therefore, to put Cork Band in South West Railway and the whole 151 kilometres back in place, the figure would be, wait for this, 19.5 billion going off the 2007 figures. The Cork to Middleton line is pretty much a straight line, whereas the West Cork rail involves bridges, there's challenging terrain, there's the tunnel that we spoke uh, about, and also part of the old railway line now runs through family gardens. I like the idea, says this texture, of having a railway line back to serve the low-density areas of West Cork. However, it's an absolute pie-in-the-sky suggestion, no matter what kind of fancy name you put on that uh, report. Well, you know, in fairness to the Cork Commuter Coalition, you know, they have never looked for the whole 151 kilometres to be put back in place. That's why they went for three main corridors and they also did say they haven't put a costing on it. And I think a number of people, while they certainly liked the idea that the railway line would come back, I think a number of people are pointing out that very exact reason that you're giving. It's the cost factor and it just won't work because it would just simply cost too much. Patsy in Bandon says... I'd be all for the return for the trains in West Cork. Uh, but if they ever brought them back, they would need to include security on the trains. They would need police on the trains. 
as nowadays people seem to have a free run and there's a lot of violence on some of our rail journeys. So if there's any budgeting going on, that needs to be included uh, in it. Thank you for that, Patsy. On pepper spray that we spoke about earlier, Doni says, if a person is grabbed a certain way, then they may be able to get access and use their pepper spray. spray but they could also end up in a position that they're not able to use it. Yeah, Doni, a lot of people have said, what if the the person doing the attack then grabbed the pepper spray and used it in in reverse. You're into all kinds of problems. Um, Pat Doni says what's needed is more and more CCTV cameras in location like where young Ashley was attacked last uh, Wednesday. So we need to have Big Brother watching all of the time and CCTV everywhere. That's from Doni. Thank you for that. Doni has spoke. Oh, just on Ashley, by the way, somebody was on to say that there is a vigil for Ashley in... Carrigan Afra. Am I pronouncing that right? Carrigan Afra. It's in Glenville and it's happening on this Friday night at eight o'clock. If anyone's in the Glenville area and you'd like to go along for a vigil for Ashleen Murphy. So there some those vigils are still going uh, on. And Martin in Mitchellstown, this is to do with hemochromatosis that we spoke about earlier in the programme. Martin says, I have already given nine pints of blood so far this year as I also was diagnosed with hemochromatosis. Martin says, do you know that they call it the bronze diabetes in Scotland. No, the booze diabetes, I think. I think that should have come up, come up on my screen. Uh, I, I never, I didn't realise that. And it's called the Celtic curse. Or the Celtic condition was how Morris Manning put it. But I've heard it called the, uh, the Celtic curse. It does, absolutely. It affects people in uh, Scotland as well. But I've never heard it called the booze diabetes. And the thing is, people get diagnosed with hemochromatosis. And if it's left untreated and you get to the stage where it leads to chronic liver disease that's the first question that's asked of somebody before they get a diagnosis was have they been you know having a huge amount uh, to drink because that's what the liver can look like and in many cases somebody who ends up at that stage may never have drank it's been the case that somebody never drank or drank very little in their lifetime can end up with chronic liver conditions and that's why I think Maris Manning is right. We need to learn more about hemochromatosis and we need to get the message out to people. And actually, when it's called the, the Celtic Curse, I heard that, and I had, Maris didn't say this now, but I remember reading about it and it was to do with the fact that, not that we're all inbred, but the fact that in, in generations ago when we weren't travelling, we had a smaller population base and we had a tendency to marry within our own areas and there was a higher chance then that you'd marry somebody who may be distantly distantly related to you, but somebody else who's carrying the hemochromatosis gene because if you get a man and a woman both carrying the gene without realising they're carrying it, then they have, I think, uh, uh, they two and I think I'd say out of five children at least two will have full-blown hemochromatosis and two could be carriers and one might escape with not getting I think the stats were something like that so I think that's got a lot to do with why there's so much prevalence of it here in this country 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your calls you can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie the COPE Foundation, they are appealing for people to support their fundraising uh, campaign. They're asking people to take part in their walk, which is 300,000 steps challenge. It's for the month of February. You can check out the full details on the COPE Foundation web 
page or you can go to the Cope Foundation Facebook page for more details. The closed collection to raise funds for the Marion Hall Car Park in Ballinhasic is continuing this uh, week. It'll be tomorrow evening, Thursday, or tomorrow afternoon, uh, Thursday, no, tomorrow evening from half six to 7.45 and then Saturday afternoon from half two to four. They're looking for all kinds of used items, but please, no duvets are pillows. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. On this uh, proposed pandemic payment that we're waiting on further details from, because it looks like it was been leaked from the uh, Cabinet, somebody says, I think the sneakiest thing about the announcement of this bonus for a healthcare workers, just those who worked at the cold face of COVID-19, is the very fact it's been leaked. Ministers are gutless, says this uh, texter. Somebody else says, who do I contact for this payment? I worked throughout the pandemic. Oh, if you are entitled to it, you will be notified. I can guarantee you that. And somebody says, what about all those people who worked in supermarkets and uh, all those who worked in retail? Those staff were very much frontline staff. Without them, none of us would have had food on our table. If that wasn't frontline, I don't know what uh, was. Okay, we were talking about the West Cork Rail. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Report and a number of people uh, can remember or had fathers or grandparents telling them about the West Cork Railway. Well, Tom in Bantry has contacted us uh, because he clearly remembers the West Cork Railway line. Good afternoon to you, Tom. Good afternoon, Patricia. Now, were you working when the last train pulled out of Bantry? I I was. I was working across the way in a filling station. And um, I remember the the people coming on and off the train and all the cargo that was coming off, all the pubs and, and that were served by a man with a skleisel horse and a low wheel capped, and he used to roll the big barrels on and off. There were big caskets that time. And um, all the other uh, shops and everything, all the supplies came to them. 
you know. So, so um, much, so much was delivered by rail in those days. Oh, everything came by rail. There was no lorries in the road. Biggs is here in Bantry had a couple of lorries, all right. They were taking fish uh, up to Dublin. Actually, they had, Biggs had boats fishing over the Bantry Bay, and uh, they used to take the fish up to, to uh, Dublin on the market. So when when it was said that the reason they closed it was there wasn't enough people using the trains. So it wasn't just people using the trains. It was, oh, the, no, it was no, the cargo. No. Yeah. No, they had the, they had the, they had the, the whole lot sold to South Africa before it was ever taken up. Was it a wrong decision, do you think? Uh, I, th- I think it was. I think it was because um, when he started in the cup, that was 19, uh, that was Good Friday, 1961. When he started in 66, uh, the oil terminal, and if it was still there at that stage, it, you know, it would have probably helped all right, like, you know. And yeah. then there was three boats then um, coming to Abregol, Glengarriff, and Castletown Bear, and all this, the train went out onto the pier, and they loaded up their stuff and uh, took it all down to, to, to those three places. Yeah, you see, if it, if it had remained in place, it could have been worked on and maintained, whereas, it, it, whereas it, it could, it's, yeah. it's not really feasible now, is it, to, to bring it back because of the no, cost no, involved? No, the, the, the cost would be uh, uh, astronomical. There's no way in the wide Natalie world could you uh, do it now, like, you know. But I remember... On the fair day, the first Friday of every month, uh, we, we could see from our house um, the train load of cattle going out. And there was a, a, a diesel engine at the back pushing as well, and there was a steam engine in the front. That, that time in Bantry Square, you could not see the square with cattle, you know. Unfair, they, they came in from, from all over the peninsulas and everything like that. And you yeah. you say it was Good Friday was the last uh, Good, Fri- Good, Good Friday. Good Friday. It, Good Friday had left, and I remember there was a lot of people came down and they put pennies on the track and halfpennies and all that kind of thing just to get a you know, souvenir out of it. Oh, know? to flatten it, to you flatten yeah, the penny yeah, yeah. and kept it. And, yeah, yeah, and then they kept it uh, as souvenirs. And um, out of all the the, the the time it was there, I, I wasn't working on a year, about a year or that way, but I never got to spin it. <laughs> but <laughs> I remember they used to go to football matches and everything. So, so it was, it's listening and to you, it sounds like it, it was used, a lot of people. Oh, God, oh, 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 yes, yes, definitely it was used. Like we had a regatta here in Bantry that time, and all the cock crowd would come down that time. Yeah, you know? yeah. And the place would be absolutely packed all together, like, you know. Were they the yeah. part? Were they the posh sailing people would come down? They they'd come down. Yeah, everybody and anybody did have a day <laughs> out that time. It was a great thing, like you know. I know. I can um, see actually a number of people in North Cork were saying, "I'd love a train to West Cork. It'd be great to jump on the train and do a day yeah. trip to to West Cork." But but that idea that that, that um, Michael Sullivan there in Castellone about the airstrip, we've an airstrip here in Bantry, and it's used quite often, you know. And uh, it's very accessible and, and that. And I think there would be the way to go, like maybe one of them in every town or something like that, because that's, that seems to be what's uh, coming down the line, like, you know. OK. All right. Listen, uh, thank you for that and good memories and yeah, happy memories yeah. oh, as well. And, uh, just one thing before I go, Patricia. Yeah. Ash, Ash Wednesday that week, the tide came up on neap tides uh, and that would be 12 o'clock in the day you have neap tides and springs and 6 o'clock uh, in yeah. the evening and the tide would be very slack and it came up and it flooded the whole town 
and there was an abandoned uh, Hillman Hunter in the car in the car park now. Um, that time, uh, there was about a six inches of the car showing, and they're talking about global warming, you know. And that was in uh, Ash Wednesday, 1961? That, that was the same, same, same year. Same week, same. yeah, yeah, Ash Wednesday, and then and you would have got right. The tide kept coming down. There must have been an awful lot of disturbance in the Atlantic or something at the time because it kept coming up all that week. We couldn't go to the cinema or anything, you know. And, the, and then the last train pulled out of Bantry. And, and then the last train, it was, it was, it was sad. All know? right. Listen, thank yeah. you for that. No, thanks, good, Patricia. Thanks. Nice talking to you. And good talking to you as well. That is Tom in Bantry to 0818103103. Just on TV, uh, somebody... Oh, yeah, this is... Remember last year there was a discussion around the future of watching Irish rugby free to air because a number of people were fearful that... what. Irish rugby would go down the same route of Irish soccer and and indeed some GAA games that you'd have to pay to actually watch them. Well, just this morning, there has been a historic agreement has been reached between RTE and Virgin Media Television, which guarantees to show all Six Nations rugby action free to air on RTE and Virgin and we're told it's the first agreement ever to be reached by both channels so if you are a rugby fan you'll certainly be delighted to hear that you won't be paying to watch any of the Six Nations rugby action 0818 103 103 Court today on C103 With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie This is the Cork Today replay on C103. I was so sorry to read that Lorcan, one of the longest resident donkeys at the sanctuary in Liscarroll, died last week and he's gone to the Rainbow Bridge. Callum Watson is farm supervisor at the Donkey Sanctuary and has cared for Lorcan for many years. And Callum joins me this afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Callum. Good afternoon, Patricia. I imagine a huge sense of sadness at the sanctuary over this. Absolutely, yeah, it's a massive loss to the sanctuary. He's been with us a long time. Uh, very well-known donkey um, to all our supporters and visitors. So it's a particularly sad time for uh, not just, as I say, the supporters and visitors, but the staff as well. And anyone who has visited the sanctuary will will clearly remember Lorcan because he had his the, big, the floppy years, which I believe was the way he was found in 1995. He did, yeah. He was a very recognisable donkey, small in stature, uh, big in character with the floppy <laughs> ears. Yeah, he was rescued in 19... 19- 95, our welfare team took a call about a donkey in a bad condition in the suburbs of Galway City, and when they attended, they found uh, Lorcan uh, pretty badly injured in a poor condition, so he thereafter came into our sanctuary uh, then and has been with us ever since. And his ears were in a bad condition when he arrived? They were. There was a risk that he may have lost or he was going to lose them, but uh, the veterinary team at the time uh, cared for him and we saved his ears, but obviously they, they, they flopped over. But they still worked. He could still hear and, as I say, it added to his character. <laughs> Absolutely. And was there much... He was only about a year old, was he, do you reckon, when, when he, he came what, to... He, yes, he was approximately about a year old. Yes, yeah, still just coming out of full. Uh, he was, uh, yeah, a young donkey. Nothing known about his first year then, no? No, no knowledge. We have no background uh, what, what went on before, which is pretty typical with some of the rescue donkeys. You don't know you know, what, what, what went on for the last few years or, or last few months. So that was the same uh, in the case of Lorcan. 
And if he had been treated badly, which is which is which is what you you would be thinking, did did he take long to settle in? It does with any rescued donkey who's got a bad uh, uh, image of human beings and had a bad. Uh, uh, instances with them, yeah, it does take, it can take weeks and months to build that trust again and, and build that bond, but that, that did come after a few months with Locke, and, and in the end, he was an extremely friendly donkey, particularly with children, uh, you know, at, at the fence uh, where he was, most of the other donkeys were all bigger, so their their heads were over the top <laughs> of the fence, but Locke's head came through the middle of the fence, yeah. so more, more in height with the, with the children, you know, so yeah. he was a particular favourite with the kids as well. And he he was very much he was part of your adoption scheme. He was. We have twelve adoption donkeys that people can donate money to to help the running of the sanctuary. He was one of them. Uh, so he's a sad loss there as well. And probably uh, probably one of our more popular ones. The fact that we he'd, he'd been there so long as well. But you know he was loved by all over. Funny, I was just. There's been quite a, a lot of uh, coverage in social media, thousands of comments. Uh, in particular, I was reading Facebook this morning. Uh, if I may, there was one comment that just sort of stood out, a short one that just said, God bless you, Lorcan. Uh, you gave joy to so many people around the world, especially those lucky enough to have met you, and it, which really just summed uh, it up. You know, uh, he was he was so well loved uh, the, uh, worldwide. Um, so, yeah, sad time for us here. And a, a decision then had to be made to put him to sleep. Now, that's a difficult decision, Callum. It, it is, yeah. We, we retired him back in November as an adoption donkey because we did a quality of life assessment and we knew the end of life was on the horizon. Uh, his, his joints were starting to fuse together, so his movement wasn't as good. But just in the last two weeks, uh, he deteriorated and blood tests showed that uh, he was starting to struggle and fight. His organs were starting to fail. So, no, the, the decision was made quite rightly, but sadly we had to put him to sleep. And they're very stoic animals. They don't always show pain. They are, they don't, absolutely. And that's one of the problems that we have, uh, is trying to uh, keep an eye out and look for little subtle changes in their behaviour uh, that, that, that would indicate there's something wrong with them. Uh, so thankfully my, my the team are, are, are well averse to that, so they know what to look out for, where, where maybe a horse will will show they're in pain or in stress. A, a donkey won't. They'll, they'll, they'll try and brave it out. And we also know about, about uh, donkeys, that they like to pair up and, and befriend another donkey. Did he ever befriend anyone over he, the years? He didn't. No, he didn't. Did he uh, no, he was very friendly with all the other old... Uh, he was in the oldies group with the, the, right. the other elderly donkeys. They were all very friendly and they all got on well with each other. But he had no strong bond. There's a couple of pairs in the oldies who were really strongly bonded together. Uh, but no, Lorcan was just friends with everyone there. And is that great sadness when when you do have a pair, if one dies, does the other miss their pair? They, they do. Uh, so normally we would bring the other bonded donkey in to see uh, the other donkey that's passed away just so they get, so oh, they realise. Yeah, so it's, it's quite sad. So yeah, it's the, it's the least favourite part of the job here. We get a lot of job satisfaction in uh, working with the donkeys, but the, the least, um, the most difficult is definitely dealing with death. Yeah, end of, and it's unfortunately, it's a, it's it's a, a reality. And do you have many of the the golden oldies? Do you have many old donkeys? We, we, we have we have twelve uh, here in the, the open farm at Knockerban. There are many more at our, our other closed farm uh, just outside the village of Lascaro. But yeah, we have a 12 here uh, in the oldest section. There are other older donkeys in some of the other barns, but that, that, that's the 12 that we, we show to the public. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. And uh, I do, okay, he, he, you reckon around the 27 years of age was what Lorcan was. He how, was. How long on average do they normally live? It 
that's a good age to get to. We have donkeys in our 30s. We've had donkeys get to their 40s. But, but generally, 30s would be a good age. But, but by their late 20s, you're starting to keep an eye on their, their uh, well-being and their health. Uh, they do, like humans, you'll, you'll start to deteriorate the older you get. Uh, donkeys are no different. So, yeah, t- that was a good age, 27 yeah, years. Yeah, but it, like, it shows that they're, you know, they're a huge commitment for somebody taking on. They are, but it's a well, it's a very worthwhile commitment. I have three donkeys myself, uh, which I keep on with my cottage and land outside Liscarroll, uh, and they're, they're they're just fabulous animals. Uh, they're so friendly, they're so loyal, uh, and they're, they're they're very worthwhile having. Yeah. yeah, anyone that's visited will know. I mean, it's they're just it's a fabulous place to visit and to interact with them. They they really are gorgeous, gorgeous animals. How long are you working there, Callum? I'm I'm four years here, uh, Patricia, okay. uh, yeah. dealing with the donkeys now. Yeah. Um, and I know I spoke a few weeks ago with uh, Laura Foster, the manager yes. at the Donkey Sanctuary, and she was t- talking to us about your know, full to bursting. So n- no change in that. No, we're we're still pretty full. We're not that we'll turn away any donkey, or or we'll always be there to assist. Uh, our welfare teams are are busy, really busy out in the community, assisting where they can. Uh, owners, existing owners of donkeys, and with education and assistance uh, to keep their donkeys fit and well. But it's a it's a continual struggle uh, with the numbers that we're talking about. Yeah, and that's why anyone who has a donkey, if you need help, you're, you're fantastic to offer advice to people. Uh, uh, absolutely. Uh, we've got our website, the donkeysanctuary.ie. Phone numbers are there, our welfare teams are the main line. Uh, and, and No, I would stress to anyone, if you're in any doubt, absolutely, uh, definitely do phone and we're there to give advice and help. And even uh, our welfare teams can attend or even our veterinary teams can attend and, and assist uh, if there's any great problems. Uh, but no, we're always there at the end of a phone line with, uh, and it's, it's a free phone call, so do make it. Are you back open to the public? We are. We're open Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday. So it's only Monday and Tuesday we're closed. We still operate a booking system just to make sure the numbers are, are regulated. So, yeah, Wednesday to Sunday we're open uh, all day. So, yeah, you know yourself. It's a great place to visit. No, great for fantastic. the kids as well. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. And you should leave with a smile on your face as well. Yeah. And hopefully with lifting of restrictions, you'll be able to be back up and operating as normal in the summer months, which would be terrific. A- absolutely. Absolutely. We're looking forward to that. Well, listen, our best wishes to everyone. Everybody at the at the donkey sanctuary, and just to say, we're thinking of you because we know how, how hard it is when when you lose a much loved pet. It's difficult enough, but when you're working so closely with these beautiful animals, so continue the great work that you're doing, Callum. And thank you for joining us on the program. Thanks, Patricia. Thanks very yeah. much. Good afternoon. Bye bye. Bye bye. Good bye-bye. afternoon. That is Callum uh, Watson. Uh, who is farm supervisor at the Donkey Sanctuary on the passing of Lorcan. As I say, anyone who's ever been to the Donkey Sanctuary in Liscarroll will know exactly uh, Lorcan, who we're talking about. Many would have adopted him over the years, taken part in the adoption programme over the years, but he was just the floppy ears and he was so much smaller. He was the cutest, cutest uh, donkey and unfortunately had to be put down last week. 0818 103 103. Coal delivery drivers and people who deliver coal and fuel, says Nora in Newmarket. If you're talking about frontline workers and people are talking about retail and people working in pharmacies who all worked on the front line, then surely you've got to include people who delivered fuel. They bought, they kept people going right throughout the pandemic. If they're giving out €1,000 pandemic payment, Nora in Newmarket says they should be included as well. And I think that list is just going to get longer and longer as uh, once the announcement, the official announcement is made, but there will be a lot of people who will feel that the pandemic 
bonus payments should be paid to more than just those in uh, healthcare for sure. 0862103103. I mentioned about the RTE and Virgin Media have teamed up. It's the first for both channels. A historic agreement has been uh, reached, which means that the two TV services in Ireland guaranteed to show all Six Nations rugby action free to air. You'll either be watching it on RTE or on Virgin. And a lot of people are very happy with that. That's prompted Barry to say, seeing as you're talking about RTE, Patricia, is it true that RTE are looking for an increase in their TV licence fee? Uh, They have frozen the TV licence in the UK. That's what we should be doing in this country, says Barry. Can't believe they're looking for more money. They are. It's actually happening this week. RTE are going to, they're looking for an increase in the television licence fee. Our licence fee is €160. And RTE will say it was last increased in 2008. So it's been 160 for many, many uh, years. But Barry is right. In the United Kingdom, in Britain, the British government announced a freeze for two years on their licence fee. Now, their licence fee, by the way, is higher than ours. It's £159 sterling, which comes out at about €190. So they do pay a higher fee but they've frozen theirs with the talk of the TV licence fee in the UK being abolished completely. That's what the talk is in the UK. Certainly not the talk over here. RTE want an extra €30 million a year and they also want this move towards the implementation of a household broadcasting charge and the reason for the household broadcasting charge is a lot of people now don't have televisions anymore and they watch TV on smartphone or on computer so they don't have to pay for a TV licence and RTE says that's unfair. If it was a household broadcasting charge everyone would pay regardless of if you had a TV in the house or not. Now there's a submission going to the Public Accounts Committee tomorrow. RT's Director General is Dee Forbes. She will argue if there is no action that RTE will simply not be able to return to a stable financial position and will not be able to reinvent itself for the future generations. The station obviously have been hit by pandemic-related slump in advertising and she says they'll not be able to fulfil their remit or to maintain much of what they do uh, today. Now, it's also been pointed out there's about 13% of people who evade paying the television licence. These are people who have a TV but simply don't pay it. That's nearly double the TV licence invasion in the UK. I don't know why they're so good at making sure people pay their television licence. The TV licence evasion in England is at 7%. uh, And obviously during the pandemic, the ability of TV licence inspectors to do their work. So there's probably even more people not paying TV licence than had once been uh, paying it. So detailed financial information has come out showing that 223 million euro is what's collected in licence fees. Now when you break that down RTE get 90%, they get the bulk of it, they get just under 200,000 of uh, of the money. But D Forbes is saying we need an extra 30 million euro just to reinvent ourselves and to try to uh, keep going. They have made savings they say they're doing their best to make savings but one of the big arguments that always hit RTE whenever there is a shout to say we need extra money. The fact that the station, the the largest, the 10 highest paid presenters within RTE earn almost 10 million euro and that's just between 10 
of the highest uh, earners. And of course, uh, Ryan Toberty is well up there. He's um, He does The Late Late as well as a TV uh, show. But he earns, uh, or he, in 2019, he earned nearly a half a million alone. So that's always pointed out to RTE. You know, there's a huge amount of money paid out on some, not all of the wages, but at least on the 10 highest paid presenters uh, earning uh, almost 10 million over the course of uh, three years. So they always get sort of hit with that that stick. But yes, Barry, sorry, <laughs> a bit long-winded. Barry is right that RTE are going to the Public Accounts Counts Committee tomorrow and they're putting forward the reason why the licence fee should go up so that more money can go into the coffers of RTE. I take it like Barry. Not everyone will be very happy with that. Neil says, Patricia, so sorry to hear about the death of Lorcan. We've been supporters of the Donkey Sanctuary for many years and we actually adopted Lorcan a number of years ago when we did choice of four donkeys. Yeah, a lot of people had great, great time and fondness for Lorcan for sure. Thank you for your WhatsApp. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we'll be back with you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. On to then, I'm Patricia Messenger. A very good afternoon and stay safe. Cork today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out of pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.